0: This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. It was a quiet Sunday evening of Easter weekend 2011. Jacqueline Bartlam settled down to read another chapter of her book before bed, safe in the knowledge that her two young sons were fast asleep in their beds. Just as she was drifting off to sleep, she heard the creak of someone stepping onto the uneven floorboard just outside of her bedroom. Not that she was worried. It was probably just one of her children. This is the first episode of Red Run, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 1, Jacqueline Bartlam. Jacqueline Bartlam lived in a charming, detached, three-bedroomed house in a private cul-de-sac on Georgia Street in Nottinghamshire. She lived there with her two sons, 14-year-old Daniel, 6-year-old Dominic, and the family dog, Meg. The 24th of April 2011 was Easter Sunday. Jacqueline's mother Shirley spent the morning doing a few weekend chores and visiting her family. She pulled the car into Georgia Street late Sunday morning and picked Daniel up. She was keen for a bit of quality time with her eldest grandson and drove him into town so that they could do a bit of shopping together. Daniel brought his dog Meg along so that he could take her to the local groomers to get her coat trimmed. His gran then gave him an easter egg before dropping him back at home. He promised his mum that he'd mow the lawn and once he'd finished... He headed on upstairs to eat some of his Easter eggs. He watched some films and YouTube videos on his computer for the rest of the evening before heading to bed. In the early hours of the following morning, neighbours awoke to hear Daniel desperately shouting for help. He was carrying his brother Dominic out of the family house and to the safety of the street. Once outside, he turned to look at his home. The right-side upper-storey window was violently ablaze with fire ripping through the family home. Moments later, fire crews arrived. Whilst they tried to keep the blaze under control, they made the shocking discovery of the body of a woman in one of the upstairs bedrooms. The body was too badly burnt for formal identification at the scene, but there was no doubt. It was Jacqueline Bartlum. The boy's grandmother arrived at the house soon after. She saw Daniel holding Dominic, who was sobbing, struggling to catch his breath. Daniel said that he was a bit worried because he thought someone had broken in and hurt his mum. They waited for over three hours and were eventually told the heartbreaking news. Jacqueline was deceased. This wasn't the first tragedy the family had had to deal with, and it wasn't the first time the boys had lost a close family member. Jacqueline's younger sister Michelle and nephew Mark had lost their lives 12 years earlier in a car accident caused by a drunk driver. At around 4am, the family left the scene of the fire. Dominic went to stay with his auntie, Jacqueline's older sister Carol, while Daniel went back to his grandmother's house. During this time, Daniel told police officers his chilling account of what had happened that night. After his grandmother had dropped him back at home, he mowed the lawn and went upstairs. He played some Xbox games, watched some DVDs and had a pretty normal evening. He told police that he shut down his computer, settled into bed and went to sleep. But just moments later, He was woken up by an intruder. A masked burglar had broken into the family home. On his way out of his room to see what was going on, Daniel had seen the intruder attacking his mother and setting fire to the house. Daniel said that he found a hammer on the floor which he threw at the intruder to scare them off. The unidentified person then fled out of an open window. Daniel saw them escape, out onto the flat roof and into the garden, before running away. The flames spread through the family home and Daniel took his little brother Dominic out of the house and next door to safety while he raised the alarm. He realized his dog was still in the house and heroically rushed back inside to rescue her. He escaped, unharmed. The Nottinghamshire Police Department very quickly realized that there were some key details that didn't quite make sense. After speaking to some of the neighbours and Daniel's younger brother, the police realised that Daniel's account of what happened differed and, importantly, didn't align with the evidence of the crime. The autopsy revealed that Jacqueline had been bashed over the head seven times with a claw hammer that was later found in Daniel's bedroom. Daniel's computer was seized so that forensic experts could examine it. What they found was chilling. The forensic team discovered some parts of his computer had been completely wiped, but on a third backup section, they recovered a story that Daniel had written and then deleted just a few days before the murder. The story outlined in terrifying accuracy, Jacqueline's death. The incriminating and chilling deleted story focused on the central character called Daniel Bartlam and his mother, Jackie. It painted the picture of the central character as a master criminal, getting away with murders, rapes, and assaults. One section of the story read, quote, the only place he couldn't get away with his bad deeds was with his mother, Jackie, unquote. It goes on to outline the central character attacking and killing his mother with a hammer before setting a fire to cover up the murder and then creating a false break-in alibi. It even detailed him rescuing his younger brother to become the hero of his own story. Shockingly comparable to the actual events of the early morning of April 25th 2011. The police arrested Daniel while they tried to gather more evidence. They needed to draw an accurate representation of what Daniel was like how his home life with his mother was. They spent time talking to Jacqueline's family and friends, building up a picture of what the mother of two was really like. Jacqueline was born to Shirley Bryant in Nottingham in 1964 and quickly became known to her close family and friends as Jackie. She grew up in Nottinghamshire with her older sister Carol and younger sister Michelle. Jackie, with her baby blue eyes and bouncy blonde hair, was adored by her family and described as caring and kind. Her mother said that, quote, she loved her sons so much and would do anything for them, unquote. In 1996, when Jackie was 32, she gave birth to her first son, Daniel, and three years later married his father, Adrian, When Daniel was six years old, Jackie became pregnant again and nine months later, gave birth to Daniel's brother, Dominic. Things seemed to be going well for the family of four. They lived in a beautiful house in Nottinghamshire, while Daniel continued to attend the private Dagfa school. Dominic began to learn how to walk and talk and quickly became a friend to his older brother. However, within a year... Jackie and Adrian's marriage had quickly broken down and the couple decided to get divorced. Daniel was nine years old at this point. After her divorce from Daniel's father, Jackie began to build a new life for herself. Ever since she was a young girl, Jackie was always determined to be independent and once she had Daniel, her priority was to be a good mother. When she was younger, she worked three jobs so that she could afford to pay the mortgage on her own house. Jackie was responsible, money savvy, and always put her boys first. So after the divorce, and whilst working for the land registry, she had made the difficult decision to downsize the house and move across the city to the more affordable Red Hill area. It was the only way that she could continue to support her two young children. That being said, Jackie managed to move the family into a sizeable, cosy family home where Daniel even had his own ensuite. Unfortunately for Daniel, Jackie had to make some tough decisions regarding his £9,000 per year schooling choice. Daniel was distraught to be moved away from his school and pleaded for her to pay for him to continue. Jackie couldn't bear seeing her son so upset over moving schools, so managed to afford for him to attend private school for a further six months. But the time soon came that she had no choice but to move Daniel out of private school and into a mainstream school in the closer Arnold area. A few years after the divorce, Jackie began dating again and in May 2008 met Simon Matters, who quickly became a stepfather figure to Daniel. Simon describes Jackie as one of the most caring people he'd ever met, and said that was the reason he fell in love with her. He saw how much she loved her kids. She doted on Daniel. Although Simon and Daniel didn't always see eye to eye, generally things were fine between them. It was, however during this time that Daniel experienced feelings of rejection and low self-esteem. He began to lose control over his personal situation. He became reclusive. He would prefer to spend time alone in his room watching DVDs and playing video games, rather than seeing family or friends. At the time, both Jackie and Simon shrugged off this behaviour and attributed it to normal teenage behaviour. In the years that followed, Daniel displayed attention-seeking and manipulative behaviours. In February 2010, the police were called when Jackie found that Daniel's bedroom was empty late one night. He had run away from home following an argument. Frustrated, feeling out of control and angry, he had been making his way from the new family house towards Nuttall, the area in which he used to live. A time when things were better, when he was happier. The police picked him up around 1am and took him home to his mother. Daniel would often have violent outbursts and this bizarre behaviour continued. One afternoon, while Jackie and Simon were clearing out his room, they found a suitcase full of Jackie's underwear. Daniel's desperate cries for attention meant that he would continually push his mother to her limits to see how she would react. He exhibited other disturbing behaviours such as defecating and hiding his faeces around his room. Simon once found a Tupperware with Star Wars figures in it full of urine. While spending so much time alone in his room, Daniel enjoyed watching gruesome television programs and this is where he began to write out violent stories and scripts of his own. The story that Daniel had written about his mother's murder was not dissimilar in violent nature to the stories he had previously written and read to his mother and stepfather. Months before the attack, Daniel had read Jackie and Simon a story he'd written about two boys who had gotten into a fight where one boy later stabs the other. He was proud and expected his mother to share this feeling. He was disappointed when both she and Simon appeared confused and asked why on earth he'd written that. Police also found that he had searched for people who get away with murders in shows Man Kills Wife and Makes It, and How to Get Away with Murder, on his computer, along with violent scenes downloaded from the television shows Trial and Retribution, Hollyoaks, EastEnders and Coronation Street. On the night in question, he had finished watching the horror film Saw before making his way downstairs in the early hours of Easter Monday. He snuck outside to retrieve the hammer from the garden shed and, once back inside, Daniel crept towards Jackie's bedroom and slowly opened the door, being careful not to creak the floorboard just outside. This is the moment when he took the claw hammer and used it to hit her seven times, fracturing her face and skull, beating her to death. He then took the hammer into his bedroom and hid it under his bed before scrunching up pages of newspaper and covering his mother's body with them. He then doused her body in petrol and turned on the gas before setting the house on fire. By the time fire crews arrived and recovered Jackie's body, it was beaten and burned so severely that the only way to identify her was through dental records. For months following the murder, the community mourned for the mother of two whilst simultaneously questioning what had driven the 14-year-old to commit such a horrific and merciless act of violence. Daniel's grandmother couldn't make sense of the ordeal. She and her husband Jeff were close to Daniel. They had loved him for 14 years and had seen no hint of psychotic or violent behaviour. They couldn't understand it. The murder gained worldwide attention due to both the brutality of the crime from such a young person, along with the Coronation Street killer angle much of the media had adopted. Not long before the killing, soap opera Coronation Street had aired an episode that Daniel had downloaded onto his computer. The storyline plays out a scenario in which psychopathic character John Stape uses a hammer to kill a woman. It is thought that Daniel became obsessed with the character and that this was one of the inspirations for the killing. A media criticism at the time was that the exposure to violent video games, films and specifically the Coronation Street storyline was a cause of the subsequent killing. Daniel was a big fan of watching and making YouTube videos. He would spend hours and hours in his room on his computer watching videos and uploading his own. A few years before the murder, Daniel's father bought him a brand new Mac computer. He used this computer to upload videos onto his own YouTube channel under the name Daniel Ab 1702. On his channel, there are three blurry videos of the camera information series essentially a series of videos showing different amateur camera angles. You can see Daniel clearly having a bit of fun showing his filming expertise and cutting to various angles, asking the viewer to comment and share their thoughts. Hi, this is Daniel. And me and Graham have been showing you how to take a photo. Does that look like a good camera angle? Me and both Graham think this is a good camera angle. All you have to do is comment. Is this a good camera angle? We need your suggestions and advice. There are a further two videos uploaded onto his channel. They are scenes of violent moments from the popular soap opera, EastEnders. In the months before the attack, Daniel was at school one morning wearing his usual uniform with a school-issued tie when he reportedly told his friends that the tie, which he named Fred, was trying to strangle him. This, along with his recent withdrawn demeanour, obviously sparked some concerns among his teachers and peers. He was referred to the school's counsellor, where he said that there were voices in his head telling him to hurt people that had upset him and that he had visions of killing people. During this time, he lied to his mother about his sessions, and although she knew he was attending them, he managed to convince her that he was better. Personality disorders tend not to be diagnosed in those under the age of 18, but by the age of 14... Daniel had a mixed diagnosis, with several experts concluding he was not mentally ill and did not pose a risk, while at other points in his life he was diagnosed with disorders including antisocial and borderline personality disorders with narcissistic and schizotypal features. I'll talk about this in more detail a little later on. However, usually a personality disorder on its own is not classed in law, as a mental illness as such, and so the court declared Daniel mentally fit to stand trial. Daniel truly believed he could get away with murder. He was so insistent in the lies he told that, even at the trial, he tried to defame his mother's character by alleging that she was verbally and physically abusive for the years leading up to the attack. His grandparents, Jackie's mother and father, profusely denied these claims. They said, quote, Daniel attempted to make out during the trial that Jackie was a bad mother, which couldn't be further from the truth. She loved her boys, she was a wonderful, loving and caring woman and would always be there to help if anyone was in trouble, unquote. He eventually admitted to killing his mother but denied murder claiming it was manslaughter after he lost control during an argument in which Jackie had called him a freak. But with the lies that came before and after his testimony, it's impossible to verify. There were reporting restrictions in place on the case until just under a year after the murder, due to the fact that Daniel was a child when he committed the crime. However, due to the violent and brutal nature, the judge, Mr Julian Flo, lifted reporting restrictions to allow the media to name Daniel. A jury unanimously found him guilty of murder in February of 2012. Judge Julian Flo described the killing as grotesque and senseless and said it seemed like the teenager wanted to get away with the perfect murder. He sentenced the then 15-year-old to life in prison with a minimum of 16 years he will be eligible for parole in 2028. So, the questions that experts have argued over for years is why? What made Daniel beat his mother to death with a claw hammer, set the house on fire and then lie about it? There are many theories and if you take a look online, you'll likely come across two recurring themes, mental illness and violent video games and media. I want to prelude what I'm going to say next regarding Schizotypal Personality Disorder, which I mentioned earlier. From here onwards, I'll refer to the disorder as SPD. Firstly, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist or any kind of professional with the qualifications to comment on SPD in relation to Daniel. All of the information I speak about is from published journals and evidenced reports. The second thing is that Daniel was not found to be mentally ill by the court experts who examined him. So, unfortunately, there's still no explanation from professionals or Daniel himself as to why he truly did this. I did, however, think it was important to comment on SPD in relation to this case because of the number of sources that mention Daniel's schizotypal tendencies. I didn't really understand what this meant, so did a bit of digging, and what I found really interesting is that SPD is generally not diagnosed in children, so even if Daniel was exhibiting symptoms of this disorder, it would have been nearly impossible to get a diagnosis with Daniel being just 14 years old. SPD is characterised in adults by pervasive deficits in social relatedness and communication, This might mean odd, magical, or paranoid thinking. It also includes distortions in perception, eccentricities, changes in effect, and social anxiety. SPD is thought to typically emerge in late adolescence, so anywhere up to around 19 years of age. Daniel was 14 when he murdered his mother, so the disorder was never going to be easily diagnosed. And as I mentioned earlier, the clinical presentation of SPD in childhood is not well understood at all. Some symptoms children may exhibit include social interaction deficits, solitary tendencies, odd speech and ideation, formal thought disorder, unusual perceptions, magical thinking and preoccupations with bizarre fantasies and interests. A common symptom of SPD in a large number of studies conducted is a proneness to fantasise. This may go some way to explaining the fantasy worlds Daniel created on his computer. The jury were told that the boundaries between real life and fiction became tragically blurred for Daniel. However, criteria of bizarre fantasies is not specific and there is little information about how this might present in children. All in all, it's impossible to conclude anything solid from Daniel's behaviours with regards to a mental disorder. Another popular theory as to Daniel's behaviour is the effect of violent video games and horror films. Psychological studies on aggression and video games tend to rely on measures of aggression that are a far cry from murder. Probably the most well-known experimental test on aggression in video games is the hot sauce paradigm. Firstly, the participants play either a violent or non-violent video game. Then they prepare a cup of hot chili sauce for another player who they don't realise is fictional. The more hot sauce they put in the chili, the more aggressive they are deemed to be. And some studies have shown that the people who are asked to play violent video games beforehand use more hot sauce. There are various other studies conducted that have similar results as the hot sauce paradigm, but none of these measures tells us much about real-life instances of aggression, let alone murder. A major research group led by psychology professor Craig Anderson routinely reports strong links between aggression and gaming while another, led by psychiatrist Christopher Ferguson, often refutes these claims. Although there is some evidence to suggest that violent media could act as an influence to youngsters like Daniel, there are a large number of people who are exposed to both violent video games and horror films at a reasonably young age, but do not go on to become violent individuals and certainly don't commit murder. Above both of these theories, one of the most common reasons that children kill is to do with abuse and neglect. However, despite these alleged claims, as there is no evidence in Daniel's household or childhood, experts continue to struggle to find a reason as to why Daniel committed this murder. Chief Inspector Kate Maynall, who led the murder inquiry, spoke of how the crime had devastated the entire community. This is a shocking um, investigation and has shocked me personally. But the biggest impact is bound to be on Daniel's family, uh, Daniel and Jacqueline's family. Having spent time with them throughout the investigation and the subsequent proceedings, I can spare, it's fair to say that they probably never come to terms with what's happened to them. There's no evidence to, to suggest Jackie was anything other than a loving mum and love and supported Daniel throughout his life. After the trial, there was a statement issued on behalf of the family. It talks about their shock and difficulty to understand the tragic ordeal. To find out what Dan- that Daniel planned to kill his own mother and then hear all the details, it is also hard to believe. The most difficult part for us, and something that only Daniel can answer, is why. Jacqueline's obituary sheds light on just how loved she was and how her family continued to miss her to this day. It reads, How do you say goodbye to someone you love so dearly? You were such a loving daughter and devoted mother. There are no words to describe our feelings. Nothing can ease this pain. To lose Michelle, our youngest daughter, and number one Mark, our beloved grandson, and now you, Jackie, is our worst nightmare. Thank God we have our memories. Don't promise tomorrow. Do it today. Listen to the music before the song goes away. See you later, Mum and Dad. And from her son, Dominic... My mummy who loves me and who I love so much. I will never forget you. I will always remember what you did for me. You gave me a love that will stay forever. You were so devoted and understanding. You were the best mummy in the world. My mummy. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound design by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James. Special thanks to 94 Gunships.